Our gospel this morning comes from the 13th chapter of the gospel according to St. Luke. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman whose spirit, with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which, to, on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we come before you today driven by a pace of life that is hectic and anxious. Whatever we are carrying today, whatever it is that's heavy on our hearts, help us to lay it down before you. God, help us to find our rest in you. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In early August of 2006, I was just a mere 14 years old and about to begin my freshman year of high school. And so my mom, as she liked to do to celebrate the big moments in my life, took me out for some one-on-one mother-son time. And so we found ourselves on a hot, sticky August afternoon going in to see a movie. And This film would come to define my summer and become much to my shame now. One of those films which I quote, which I quoted the most throughout high school and quote some still today. Maybe you've heard of it. Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. If Rhodes told the brown pants joke last week, I can can use Talladega Nights. Now, in one of the opening scenes of that film, Ricky Bobby, the film's protagonist, a man with two first names, finds himself at school for career day. He's 10 years old. Ricky hasn't seen his father, who's an amateur race car driver, since his birth, and much to his surprise, his father does actually show up to career day, late, of course. And he subsequently gives the children several pieces of advice that are not, in fact, safe for work or school or church or anywhere, really. And he's promptly and forcibly removed, quite literally thrown to his car out of the school building. And he looks back at Ricky and imparts some faulty wisdom that would come to define his life and drive the plot of the movie. If you ain't first, you're last. If you ain't first... Your last. Now, now comes the part where I justify using such a crass film as a sermon illustration. No one write to my seminary professors yet, please. Now, maybe this is too philosophical, but looking back on it, Talladega Nights is just one big comedic exploration on the speed and the pace with which we live our lives. It 
resonated with so many people, and especially people around here. It was set, after all, in this part of North Carolina because of the lesson at its core. Winning isn't everything. Life isn't about finishing in first place. And in fact, in most cases, it's the opposite that's actually true. A life lived slowly and intentionally is much more satisfying and fulfilling than a life lived at high speed. Maybe this is why Jesus repeats over and over to his disciples a a saying that is quite literally the opposite of, if you ain't first, you're last. Instead, he tells his disciples this, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And yet, even though I bring that teaching of Jesus before us this morning, I think we have to admit, it's awful hard to slow down in the culture in which we live isn't it? We tend to live by this logic, even if it's unconscious, this logic of always striving to be first, to be the best. I I think we all feel that pull at the end of most of our days to just do a little bit more, to try and achieve a greater heights, to, to just fit a little bit more productivity into our day. You see, we've created a world in which it's just really hard to find rest. A world in which there is this underlying fear, I think, of slowing down. And as we're continuing on with our sermon series on fear this week, I think this is one that we can't overlook, especially as it drives, quite literally, so much of our daily lives. It it could be that changing our pace might actually bring us wholeness, that, that slowing things down might actually bring us peace in the middle of an anxious, hectic world. And so with this, I want to come and consider for a moment our first reading this morning from the prophet Isaiah. For Isaiah, as for us today, one of the core faults of society is a lack of rest, or to put it in the language of the Bible, a failure to keep Sabbath. Now we'll return to Isaiah again in a few moments, but first I'd like to think just a little bit about how we got caught up in this rat race in our particular culture. One prominent German sociologist these days is Hartmut Rosa, and he suggests that the dominant force driving Western society is what he calls social acceleration. Social acceleration. You see, the speed at which our lives moves is dizzying, and it keeps on just getting faster and faster. And here, according to Rosa, is why. Since the days of the Industrial Revolution, generally the late 1700s, early 1800s, Western culture has experienced a boom, an increase of different technologies. This technology boom allows us to have more and more free time in our lives. It gives us the freedom to pursue more and more things, and in short, it gives us the freedom to uh, just do more stuff. And do more stuff we did, and do more stuff we continue to do. And a society that allows for more and more free time, boredom becomes an age-old enemy. Ask any young person. Here's the last step. Because we fill up our lives so much, the pace of our life feels faster and faster. We feel like we don't have enough time to do everything we hope. And so we return to developing new technologies that helps us do all the things we want to do. And the cycle starts 
all over again. It's almost like we're driving a car with no brakes. For 200 years, we've just been speeding up and up and up, and there's no signs of stopping. And yet, what if we did slow down? What is it that we actually would miss out on? What might we stand to gain? So with this, I want to turn to a film that also came out in 2006 and also features uh, racing, a film that is a little bit more palatable, a Disney Pixar movie, Cars. If you have a kid or a grandkid or have ever met a kid or a grandkid, you've probably heard of Cars. The film opens up with the main character, a bright red race car by the name of Lightning McQueen, telling himself, repeating this mantra over and over again, I am speed, I am speed. He wants to win the race circuit, which is called the Piston Cup, and he wants to succeed the most famous race car driver, the King, a a car loosely based off Richard Petty. You see, the King has the most prestigious and lucrative scholarship, and so throughout the movie, Lightning goes on a journey and discovers along the way that maybe winning isn't actually everything. Maybe there is more to life than just speed. And so at the climax of the movie, Lightning finds himself in a sudden death race to win the Piston Cup, and just when it looks like on the very last lap that he is the clear winner, another rival, determined not to finish again in third, decides to take a swipe at the king and wrecks him. Lightning looks back, realizes what happens, quickly slams on the brakes, stopping just inches before the finish line. His rival goes on to win the race as Lightning puts it in reverse and goes back to where the king has crashed and begins to push him towards the finish line. When the king laments that lightning could have won the piston cup, he responds, it's just an empty cup. It's just an empty cup. Many of us, I think, are racing for things that, at the end of the day, are just an empty cup. Those things might be shiny, they might be prestigious or lucrative. You can fill in the blank with whatever that thing is for you. I think we all have them. But most of those things are empty. They leave us hollowed out and the relentless pursuit of them exhaust the goodness in our world. This is why Isaiah is so concerned with the Sabbath, why Jesus has some words on the Sabbath for us today as well. To set the scene for Isaiah, God's people have just returned from a 70-year-long exile in Babylon, but As they're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and sort of restarting their society, something is still amiss. You see, the rich are, well, they're getting richer, and along the way, they are trampling on the poor. Unfortunately, this is an all-too-familiar story. What's surprising, however, is that God speaking through Isaiah doesn't necessarily come outright and blame greed or human selfishness. Instead, the root cause is a failure to observe, a failure to keep the Sabbath day. It ultimately stems back to a failure to rest, but but not just any kind of rest. There's something unique and special about Sabbath rest. To keep the Sabbath doesn't mean to just take a physical or mental break, though this is certainly a part of it, to be sure, but it means some more. 
to rest our very souls, to rest our spirits. And we do this most fully through worship, through returning time and time again to hear of God's promises to us, to reorient ourselves around God's holy word. Now this I'd like to conjecture is why the fabled Sunday nap is just so sweet. Nourished by God's word, we are fulfilled in a way that allows us to lay some of those things that stress us out down and to rest deeply and fully. It, it might sound trite, but, but think about it for a minute. It turns out all creation is designed for this kind of Sabbath rest. This is why God rests on the seventh day of creation. This is why honoring the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to Moses. It's not to create an empty ritual that is inconvenient and just takes up more of our time. Instead, God des designs and designates the Sabbath as holy, not just because it slows us down, but because it restores our souls. It's a time apart that helps us to delight in God, to delight in one another, to delight in God's good creation. It gives us a chance, a chance to remind ourselves as what of what is most important in our lives. It's that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It helps us to orient ourselves around that love that creates and redeems and sustains you and us and all of creation. We're designed for Sabbath. Without this time of intentional rest in God, our, our world becomes a bit duller. We feel a bit more hollow. Things begin to speed up at a frightening, anxious pace with no signs of slowing down. Dear sisters and brothers, my hope for you this day is that you don't get caught up in that rat race that drives so much of our culture. Don't get lost in that relentless search for an empty cup when you are designed for so much more, for a rich fullness and a right relationship with God and with one another. As our gospel text shows, it's not too late to hit the brakes. To hit the brakes on that speed, that acceleration that drives our lives. The power of Sabbath is that it can free us from those things that wear our souls down. It can free us from them and it can free us for a delight in God. You see, Sabbath brings us a strength and a resilience and a slowness that our world so desperately needs. To use the words of Isaiah, Sabbath, it can strengthen our bones, it can help us join in that work of restoring the world. And so I'll close with this. This is why worship is so crucial for our lives. It's why we so desperately need it week in and week out. It's it's right here where we are reminded of and filled with God's love and the word and at the table. It's here where we get a reorientation to start out our weeks, where we can overcome that fear of slowing down that drives so much of our lives. It's here where we can come to delight in God. It's a rest that our world so desperately, desperately needs. It's a rest that you, brothers and sisters, you can't do without. Amen.